0: So it's a new year and we're uh, starting in with a new study. Hallelujah. First uh, Timothy. Now, uh, sorry, but we're not going to dive right into it here this morning. Okay. So um, we do want to talk about Timothy a little bit, but we also want to talk about us as a congregation. And so uh, the title here is um, God's Unchanging Game Plan and this kind of a topic ought to be brought forth again and again and again because it's something that, um, I need. We all need. And it's, it's a reminder of God's unchanging game plan for His, His church. Um, and so we want to get started with Timothy. And, um, uh, I'd like, you to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to just jump right in. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we can uh, look at what happened at the end of chapter 15 to give us a little uh, head start that uh, Paul and Barnabas ended up splitting, and uh, they, they uh, went on different missionary trips. And this is the second missionary trip that's recorded in Scripture. And it says that Barnabas uh, wanted to take John, called Mark, in, in chapter 15, verse 37. He wanted to take uh, John Mark along with him, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of our Lord, of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches okay, strengthening the churches, encouraging, okay, and all the while bringing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the message that they brought. And Paul, chapter 16, verse 1, here we go. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek, apparently unsaved, a Gentile. Verse 2, and he was well spoken of by the brethren. That's Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts where they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so, here it is again, verse 5, the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. There was growth. Now, in this passage we have at least, there's um, four, well, there's three, I'm sorry, three descriptions of Timothy given that we want to consider. And then we're going to move on um, to another passage. But first is disciple. It's there in your outline if you want to follow along. Uh, Disciple, verse 1, certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, the term disciple appears about 30 times in the New Testament. But the term disciples uh, is there about 240 times. So it's, it's, it's very familiar. It's a term we hear, and, and we've mentioned it before. Okay? The term disciple. And obviously, it's implying a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, Timothy was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and at some point previous, Timothy had converted to following Jesus. That's the way I want to put it. I don't want to just say he was a Christian because sometimes we have certain ideas that I want to say following Jesus in his life. Now, second Timothy, you can just mark it down. We're not going to turn there. But second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy again, referring to his mother and grandmother who had some investment into Timothy, Timothy's life. Um, a lot of, uh, if you look up commentaries, a lot of scholars will say, but Timothy came to faith in Christ uh, after the, the first missionary trip that took place in that Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey, right in the middle, in the, in the southern section of of Turkey there, Lystra, Iconium, uh, Derby, right in those areas. And so we, we figure that Timothy came to faith, whether that was because of, his uh, mom and grandmother, or because of Paul's uh, coming to that area and sharing the gospel. It was not, get this, it was not because his mom and his grandmother were Christians that now he's a Christian. That's not it. And yet in America, sometimes, somehow, some way, we tend to think that, well, because my mom or my grandfather, my grandfather was a preacher, so I'm a Christian. That must mean I'm Christian. That does not mean it. Most of you understand that. But some, if you understand that because of heritage that you're now a Christian, you're wrong. That's a false thing to stand on. It's a false foundation, not a firm foundation. Okay. So a disciple is a, really a simple term. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school this morning. It's a, a pupil, a learner, a follower. Okay. And later on, it gets morphed into calling them a, a Christian. <laughs> okay? So followers of Jesus were first called disciples. Later, they were called Christians. All right? So Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother, and she was a believer, along with her mother, Lois and Eunice. Okay? And the father was a, an unbeliever, as far as we know. Now, folks that are... um of a, maybe you're a, a single parent, or maybe you're of a a mixed marriage, and your spouse is not a believer. Here's hope. Here, this is something that you need to take encouragement in. This is Timothy. Okay, he came to faith in Jesus, following Jesus in his life. Whether that was from the big campaign paul brought about a missionary trip or whether it was from talking to mom and grandma all of these are of value so young people you know young young people children young you know teenagers and such you know this this is good here's truth and you can rely on god's the teaching of god's word the gospel of jesus christ that's what we want to hunger for not just for saying, okay, I'm done, I I did it, I got it down. No, but to carry it on in every day of your life. Because that's the idea. It's not a matter of, oh, I I was saved, and so I don't need to worry about that stuff. No, you, you keep reminding yourself and refreshing your mind about what the gospel is. Okay? A disciple. Number two. Let's move on. Verse two gives us a second description of timothy and i I just want to uh narrow it down to being a witness look at verse two he says and he was well spoken of by the brethren well spoken of by the brethren it sounds like it's like we're suggesting that he's got a great reputation he was well spoken of by the brethren what is that saying The the church the the brothers spoke well of him But the term is the term for witness or to testify, um, to affirm or to approve. Another very familiar term used many times in the New Testament. Always intended to give us uh, the idea is that someone's giving strong evidence of a clear testimony. Now that shifts to our our thinking about uh, the court scene, the courtroom Go into the see the judge, and you have to give a witness. You have to give a your testimony about what happened. And Timothy is one who had a, a clear testimony. He was well spoken of by the brethren. The, the truthfulness of a cause or another person is what you're testifying of. Saying, This guy, he's innocent. I saw it. Okay? And that's a, here's a, a testimony, a strong testimony. Well, for Timothy and for you and I. It's giving strong testimony to Jesus. And how often is it so much more easier for me to give a testimony about our church? Hey, come to church. Yeah, and that's good. It's good to invite people to church. But all too often, I kind of stop right there in my testifying. I need to go beyond inviting them to church at some point and tell them about Jesus He's the one I'm supposed to testify of. He's the one that supposedly changed my life. Has he changed yours? Or is it about the church? What is it? So Timothy gives it. You know, here's this label, this description. He was a, a faithful witness. Okay. Not only Timothy. Timothy's in great company when you check it out in scripture. Um, Here's, here's a, a few references. Uh, I'm not going to give you the, the actual reference, but um, mentioning some different people. John the Baptist gave a, a great testimony. You read about John the Baptist? He gave a great testimony. John the Beloved, the Apostle John, he gave a great testimony. Okay? And those who were healed, they gave a great testimony. Jesus healed them. They gave a great testimony back to their community. Okay? Um, Those who saw Lazarus come forth in John chapter 12, verse 17, they went and they gave a great testimony. They saw Lazarus come out of the grave. (laughs) But it doesn't stop there. You know, the Bible talks of Jesus himself giving a a great testimony. He gave the perfect testimony. And the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15, verse 26, the Holy Spirit gives a testimony of the the fact of God. And the truth about Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 15, verse 8, it even says that God the Father himself gives the testimony of testimonies. He stamps all this with his approval. Here's my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. Those things. So so Timothy was an excellent company. So he's a disciple. He's called a witness. And then thirdly, he's a servant. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 in Acts chapter 16. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they delivered the decrees. So Timothy became a part of that group of men serving the Lord. Okay. Now the reason why I say this is um, here's here's a more of a what we'd say is the the. Emphasis in the Greek language in verse three, the emphasis is is more like this. Listen, this one wanted by Paul. That's the emphasis. This one, Timothy, this one wanted by Paul. And in the English, it says Paul wanted this man. But the, the emphasis then is on this one, Timothy. And why did he want him? He sees a man that loves Jesus. A man that's ready to serve. Okay? So Paul recruited him and wanted him, which lends itself to the truth that, listen, God saves people so that they will serve him. You say, oh, that yeah, I get that. Let me say it again. God saves people so that they will serve him. Not to sit back. As a spectator. And somehow in American Christianity especially. There's a lot of spectatorship. That's going on. And maybe. You. Are living in that way. Maybe you're living in a way of spectatorship. That you come to Sunday. And you can come every every single Sunday. And show up. But somehow, what's been built up and magnified in your mind is the idea that I, I sit and I, I take it in and I, I comment on the singing or the, the preaching and I, I like it, so I keep coming. You're still being a spectator. And God did not save you to be a spectator. Okay? We're supposed to plug into serving. Now, that does not mean... That the only place you serve is here on a Sunday, you know, Sunday school teaching. Praise God for our Sunday school teachers. Thank you, Lord, for faithful people that teach our Sunday school classes. Or work with a student ministry. Faithful people. Thank you, God, for these people. But see, it, it it's a greater spectrum than just on a Sunday morning. We, we have categorized so much about Sunday morning, Sunday morning. Now, it... I, don't get me wrong I don't I want you to keep coming to Sunday morning you know not for my sake but for the the sake of being a part of the body okay a Christian says I'm a Christian and so the the next step is to say and I, I've got other brothers and sisters with me hey okay? that's the idea so being a servant is saying hey, I can be recruited, you know, for serving in in whatever way. Okay? Um, Blessed to have young Layton come and lead us in prayer. Okay? That's what we want to do. We want to pull alongside other young men and help them learn and step into serving more and more. I mean, Layton's already been involved in serving, you know, here on a Sunday morning. And it's not about Layton. It's just plugging in. Being involved. Don't sit, just all, sit back all the time. Get involved in serving. And the neat thing is, is there, there's lights shining all over Fallon because you're serving faithfully at your place of work. Praise God. Keep it up. Keep going. Keep yielding to the work of the Spirit of God in your life and shine for Him at work. Okay? Being a servant, ready at any time to serve Him. Okay, the fourth label, now we go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Turn over there, please. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And the fourth description of Timothy is that he's a true child. A true child. To Timothy, in verse 2 of chapter 1, to Timothy, my true child In the faith. Now, some of you have an italicized word there. That means it's not in the original. It's added so we can read it more understandably. So it's it's actually to Timothy, true child in faith. Even the word the is added in. So it's about true child in faith. And he doesn't need to explain what kind of faith. He's already done that, and Timothy knows. It's about Jesus. So Paul uses this as an affectionate term of, uh, of his child, his true child in faith, Timothy. And the word here again uh, does not translate all the time as true. It translates more often genuine. Genuine child. The real deal. Child. Not uh Illegitimate, but legitimate. Okay? What is that? What surfaces once we start thinking about that? True child. And here's, here's what I want each of you to do. You know, uh, like a young child can turn around and say, I'm a true child of mom and dad. Um, that's my mom and dad. True child right there. Uh, but the, that's not the issue. The issue is for you and I to turn and say, am I a true child Of the Father, and why do I bring that up? I mean, we're here on a Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. Why do I do that? Why do I shake the cart like that? Well, the Bible says, "Examine yourselves, test yourselves, to see what if you're in the faith." That's that's something that Scripture calls us to do, and so it's important that we understand there there is a uh, there are People posing as Christians—it's not sub, you know, uh, subversive. It's not like you know, to to really mess things up. It's just that people want that. Not everyone, but some people want that. They want that identification. They think because they grew up in America, they have godly parents, they whatever, that they're a Christian. So. You and I need to examine our own hearts to test, are we in the faith? Second Corinthians 13.5 says that. And so how do I know for sure, and just very quickly, it's about, do you have a love for God? Do you have a hunger for his word? Do you, do you exercise repentance from sin? Not just 20 years ago that I did that, but ongoing. Do you, you repent from sin? Do you? You know, you're going to sin today. And so you need to learn to practice repentance from that. You know, say, I want to turn from that and and thank God for his forgiveness of my sin, but get going in the direction of godliness and maturity. Okay? So, um, other ones. Uh, do, I, do I sense a growth and stability in spiritual things more and more? Do I... Um, Sense that I I gotta separate myself from worldliness more and more, because the worldliness factor is is constantly grabbing at us. Not to mention Satan and the demons wanting to deceive you and me, and make it make us think because hey we're good people, and we we uh, we've got it together. Well, the only reason why we can say we're good is what? Because of Jesus. And his righteousness. It's not about, you know, our our resume. It's about Christ and his righteousness that we stand in, in that. Okay? And that's something that keeps going on throughout all life. I, I want to continue standing in the righteousness of Christ. I've got that positionally. I want that practically. Okay? So being a true child. Um, do I have a desire for more humility in my life, for more holiness in my life? Okay, those things are very important. What about obedience? Do you want to be obedient in your life? These are all signs that you're a believer, that you love the Lord, okay? And there's others we could talk about, but you know these are um, ones that surface right away. A hunger for God, a love for God, uh, your affections set on Him. So, that's um, the idea of a, a true child. Um, it can't be physically, but spiritually and heart-wise, he looks more and more like Jesus in his life. And that takes some time. It's not that you reach perfection, but but at least we we look at people and we say, boy, they they show Jesus right there to that. In that situation, they didn't judge. They they didn't uh, you know uh, separate themselves and, and walk. They they ministered in that regard. They demonstrated Christ likeness in that. And obviously, Galatians chapter five is is uh, showing the contrast there. Here's the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Is the fruit of the spirit there in your life? A true child of God. Okay. So um, here's Timothy, a disciple, a witness, a servant, and a true child of God through the gospel of Jesus. Now, Matthew 28, we're talking about, we'll be going into this study about First Timothy, but I want you to look again with me at Matthew 28. And we're going to touch on uh, these three points and then... Uh, wrap it up with a story, okay? Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, actually 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the first point I want to uh, address here is the evidence of connection in your, again, in your outline, number three, the evidence of connection. It's under Matthew 28. It's number one. I'm sorry. The evidence of connection. And um, it's where people take Jesus and take what he said and they go do it. And they're sharing their faith. They're sharing the gospel. Okay. Okay. So it's important that we understand, here's what Jesus did in three years of foundational work. Three years. And that is, that's incredible. He did this without any car, plane, or airplane, or or train. Car, plane, train, whatever. He didn't do it with any of that. He, He didn't do it with telegrams, telephones, or television. He didn't do it with the top ten book, a top ten song, or the top ten Twitter account. He didn't do it with any of that. He invested his life into people. And we said it. We mentioned it in Sunday school, they were not top theologians. They were common disciples with all sorts of baggage in their life. He he invested in those men. And here's the master plan. This is the master plan. What did they do? They went out and shared their faith. And others, you know, the next blank to fill in on your outline, two, uh, first one is three years of foundational work. The next one is 2,000 years of faithful work by God <laughs> through people who took the gospel and shared it with others. And guess what? Here it comes down to you. It came to you. Somehow, way, it came to you. Okay? So, 2,000 years of faithful work, more or less steady, continuous growth. It wasn't perfect, but the gospel was being passed along. Proclaimed to the lost. Believers responding to and obeying Christ's call to proclaim the gospel to others and to witness God's mighty power to save. God does the saving But will you and I be a part of this process? Because if we don't, if this is the, if we don't hook in and connect with this plan, we then will slowly die. And I'm talking about us, we, Parkside Bible Fellowship, we will slowly die. Unless we pick up and connect with this passage and this commission and this. Command, go and make disciples. We've been trying to uh, discuss it and kick it around in Sunday school to recognize, yes, there's a lot of things we kind of put forth and, and, and use as excuses. Say, well, I'm not good enough, I, I can't do this, or I'm afraid, this, this, whatever. Uh, we'd encourage you to come to Sunday school and be a part of the discussion. Not not for talking sake, but for action sake. To take it and go Today, tomorrow, through the week, to talk about who made such a difference in your life. So, will we carry it on? That's why I put it this way. Three years of foundational work. Jesus put it into action. And those disciples spent their lives for the gospel. And, and now we come to our day and age. And I know, it's, it's very comfortable uh, very casual we 've got it you know we've got a really nice life is what will we pass on? What will we pass on to our children? What will we pass on to our friends? so God help us i I look at this and i don't I, I want to challenge you, but I need to be challenging it myself. We we need to rally around something. What are we going to rally around? You know, we say, we're, we're the only church that has Awana. Yes, Awana is good. It's a great program. But WANA is not what we rally around. We don't rally around uh, the worship team ministry. We don't rally around the student ministry. We've got to rally around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that everything is permeated by that. Okay? Yes, it it calls for you and me to be having a good grip on the gospel so we understand it. Okay? And don't get into thinking. Don't let your mind think that, oh, it's all about the paid staff or the the elders or the deacons. No, it's about the body of believers. Okay? Okay? Number two, under Matthew 28, we said there's evidence of connection because it came to you. But number two is the concern. Is there evidence of disconnect? Is there evidence of disconnect? And let me present this to you. Under number two there, there's a blank to fill in. I want you to get ready. Are you ready? We have been deceived. No, we haven't. Yes, we've been deceived with the, with this condition. We've been deceived if we are thinking that church is about programs. We've been deceived if we're thinking about um, spectatorship. We're deceived. We need to understand what God's call is for your life not just the paid staff, not just the elders, for everyone to shine as a, a light in a dark place. And the way you shine is to, what we said last week, glorify God in all that you do. How do you do that? Be in the Word. Let the Word of God speak to your heart. And always lift up Jesus and His perfection, His righteousness. What He accomplished is perfect. And so glory in Jesus. Boast in Him. See, this deception is very subtle. Because this deception draws my own heart and my nature towards some of these things. Oh, look at how good Woody is. Oh, look at how... Woody did this or that. And, and there's a subtle thing that draws my pride constantly is drawing me to fall for that, that lie. And the shift is gradual. It doesn't all of a sudden just hit and, oh, everything's... No, it's a gradual shift as to how we are thinking. So we've got to think biblically. The more we're in the Word, the more we track with the gospel and the truth of it the better off we are then right okay here's the here's the concern under disconnect we have created a gospel fill that in we have created a gospel that says you can become a christian and next blank not follow jesus we've created that in america Now, I'm not saying that applies to each and every one of you. I'm just saying that's a, that's a mindset that's taken over in a lot of ways. And so it's important that we understand what the gospel is calling us to do. What's the essence of being a Christian? Is to follow Jesus. What's the essence of being a Christian? To obey him, to trust him but a lot of the thought processes that come forth lead us to think it's hey i can do whatever i want i'm a christian i'm going to heaven it doesn't matter yes it does matter and that's what the so much of the new testament is telling us about that's why the new testament is so full of warnings about false teaching and false prophets it's, it, you know we're going to see that in first timothy It's what Paul gets to almost right away. Don't let any of these other guys teach this. About myths. No. Genealogies. Don't let them teach that. So it's about false teaching, false prophets, etc. And the result, again, I mentioned it before. If this is where we're at. If we're having, if we're putting forth a gospel that says you don't have to really follow Jesus, you don't be so serious about it, then we're dying a slow death. Okay? Listen, to wrap up point number two in your outline, you, say, you see it there? Jesus never commanded us. Listen, He never commanded us to build a church. He didn't command us to build a church. He commanded us to go and make disciples. Okay? Who is going to build the church? Who? Class? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said he'd build a church. Okay? So, we need to be thinking more and more about Am I sharing my faith in Jesus, in the in the gospel of Jesus, the truth gospel? Am I sharing that gospel, or am I emphasizing our church more, in our church events more? And again, those those can be important. I'm not wanting to throw that all totally out. I'm just saying we've, we we want to get to sharing the gospel, the gem. Here's the diamond. Here's the peak of it, the the pinnacle of it. Okay. It's Jesus and His His Gospel, His coming to die in our place. We need to know the Gospel, speak the Gospel, and model the Gospel. A lot of people think, "Well, I'm just showing by my the way I live." Well, you're going, you're forgetting the the other part of the, what the Bible t- says, and that speak with your words. Our life needs to show it, yes, but you need to speak with your words that Jesus saves. Now stop and think about your own coming to faith in Christ. What was so beneficial about you know, your, your coming to faith in Christ and your, your spiritual growth? Take that very concept, that, that what you know, and take that and start building on that. How did you come to faith in Jesus? Now start building on that. You're the one, you, you say you're a Christian, you say you're different, you say you're changed, then, then build. Ask God to give you wisdom in that, and build on that thought. But magnify Jesus. And by the way, while I'm talking about it, you know, many of you you've been a Christian for a long time, but have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? And, and there's some of you that just sneak right under the radar there, and you still haven't been baptized. This is a public affirmation, a public declaration. And it's, and by the way, it's not just for the little kids. We need to get on Johnny and Susie here to get baptized, you know. No, it's for you, adult. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time. You still haven't been baptized. What are you waiting for? It's to demonstrate and declare what's already happened in your heart and life and to say, I'm his and he is mine. Okay. So we want to pray and ask God you know, for his work in our lives so that we can say, you know what? We've been at making disciples and, and uh, pointing people to Jesus Christ. I think if we start doing that more, it, it's not that it's not happening, but if we start doing it more, I think we're going to see life. We're going to see other people excited because they're saying, hey, you know what happened? I got to share my faith at work and blah, 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 you know. And and we see an excitement level come. Why? Because we're doing what God wills. That's His will for us. He wants us to enter into His will. Not to enter into our comfort zone. Number three. Evidence of a Reconnect. Evidence of a reconnect. We can, um, if we sense that we've disconnected from the, the unchanging program of God, of making disciples, we can reconnect. Simply start one by one. Write it down. One by one. If you want to write it down with a W, great. One by one. But start with one. And pray that God would show you that one. And maybe it'd be today, this afternoon. Maybe it'd be Monday Maybe it would be Wednesday. Ask God to use us for his glory. The keys are spiritual maturity and secondly, spiritual reproduction. We want to start being... I'll put it this way. We want to start being adults. (laughs) Spiritual adults that bring forth spiritual children. Okay? Ask God for these opportunities. So when believers share and proclaim their faith in Christ to neighbors and friends, we come to believe that it's not just, like I said before, here's the the paid professionals. It's about God's plan taken by you, you who are saved and plugging into serving him. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to run through this quickly. Matthew chapter 9. And I encourage you to consider this passage in asking or answering the question, how? How do I go about this? Well, look at what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. He's out there, right? He's out there. He's active, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Well, I'm not going to be able to do that. I don't think you're going to be able to heal all those diseases either. So we concentrate on what he's active in doing. He's out there with people. We can pray for people to be healed. We can pray for them to see and listen and accept the gospel. But look at verse 30. um I'm sorry. Verse 35 is, is showing he's present and involved. He's out in the field. He's out with people. Many of you are out with people. You're. You're active with people. People that don't even come to church, that don't want to even enter in here or any other church on a Sunday morning, but you're out with people. You can have an effect and an influence in their lives. Uh, Verse 36, he's found relating to and rescuing people. Look at verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. You ever meet people like that? Maybe you're one of them. Distressed and dispirited. And, and so thus, you know the Lord, you say, so trust in Him. Go to Him. Fly to Him. <laughs> right? So the experiences that you've gone through allows you to connect with people in their distress, in, in their hurts, the big ones and the small ones. Certainly by trusting in God's help you can speak the truth, plant seeds of truth, affirm your prayer support for them, invite them to trust in Christ, let them then know all the while of the value of knowing Jesus. Is there value in knowing Jesus? How do people know that from your life? See, that's the challenge that we all face. And then Matthew 9:37 through 38, look at it. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Just say that 10 times in your mind. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. What does that mean? That people are ready. They're, they're out there ready for it. Now, you and I might, might think, oh, they won't, I, I know them. They won't accept the Lord. They won't trust in Jesus. You know what we're doing? We're, we're sitting on the judgment seat now when we think that. We've got to trust God to do his work that he promised he would do. And we need to be planting those seeds in people and asking God to use that. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, a lot of us figure that that, that, that just means the missionaries. Send out the more, more missionaries. I, I don't think so. It's not just about missionaries. It's about you and me following Jesus? What were we we saved for? To serve Him. So, Matthew 9, 37, 38, speak of relying on the Lord of the harvest. The workers are few. So pray. Pray. It says, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. Send out workers to use you, to use me. Will we say, here am I, send me. Will I be that way? Will you be that way? We've got opportunity. As long as we wake up on a new day, we've got another opportunity. Whether you're in school or whether you're retired and and whatever you do, we have opportunities in front of us to be an instrument in God's hand to share the gospel. So, It's for all of us, not just pastors and missionaries and evangelists, all of us. So, I have a story I want to share with you. And I want you to consider this. Some of you on Friday morning men's study, you've read this and you've you've picked up on it. We're going to turn the lights down, okay? I want you to not be distracted. I want you to just think of this and ask God to help us in responding. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent, there once existed a little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, But the few devoted volunteers kept a constant watch over the sea. With no thought for their safety, they went out day and night, tirelessly rescuing the lost. Many lives were saved. The station became famous. Some of those who were saved, along with others in the surrounding area, wanted to become associated with the station. And they gave time, money, and effort to support its work. They bought new boats, they trained new crews, and the life-saving station grew. And some of those who volunteered at the station soon became upset that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and beds and put up better furniture in a new, larger building. As a result, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its workers They decorated it exquisitely and began to use it as a club, even charged membership dues, because fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. They hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motif still prevailed on the club emblems and stationery. However, there was a symbolic lifeboat in the room where club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people because these survivors were dirty and sick. They soon messed up the beautiful new club. So the property committee uh, immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the shipwrecked victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting... There is a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activities altogether because they thought it was a hindrance and unpleasant to the normal social life of the club. Other members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that, after all, the club was still a life-saving station. Those members were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of various people, Shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As the years went by, the new station gradually faced the same problems the other one had experienced. It, too, evolved into a club, and its life-saving work became less and less a priority. A few members who remained dedicated to saving lives found yet another life-saving station. History continued to repeat itself and if you visit the coast that coast today you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore shipwrecks are still frequent but most of the but most of the people drown what's the greatest work of the church i realize it's not a real focused picture a little fuzzy um I know we all want to do a good job, like, like in worship. Uh, the worship team wants to do a good job. Um, the different programs that, you know, whether it's a or MOPS or other programs, we want to do a good job. But somehow it, it gets to grabbing a, a bit more of our, of our attention. And then we who sit, you know, we sit and we, we, we can, Uh, make criticism about it because it's not this or it's not that. And and I don't know if you understand it, but there's churches all over the place that have worship wars. And they they debate this and they debate that. And all the while people, you know, walk away from church. We're still, we're not, you know, we don't carry a message that is happy, uh, happy for everyone. It's an offensive message. Right? Yeah? It's an offensive message. Now, we're not trying to say, now go out and be offensive. What we're saying is go out and be a light bearer. Be a light bearer. Shine your light. And so, I wanted to do this as we closed so that it would remain a visual in your minds. I saw a different rendition of this as a younger believer, it was on a, on a newsletter that they had made it. And um, it just hit my brain. I, you know, we need to understand this. This is important, folks. We need to rally together under the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel. Luke 19, verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to what? Seek and to save that which was Lost. And you've got people that you rub shoulders with regularly. Start with prayer. Start with reliance on the Lord of the harvest. Don't rely on your, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I did evangelism explosion and I got all these things down. No, don't rely on that. Rely on the Holy Spirit, the Lord of the harvest. Rely on Him to allow you to become a faithful proclaimer of the gospel what will 200 uh, 200 what will 2014 be for us and I, I put down at the bottom of your outline is it going to be an identity crisis year again i think we've at parkside there's been too many identity crisis years we can't quite figure out who we are it's an identity crisis what i want to do is is bring us to an identity compliance where we are together on this we're about making disciples. We need to be. And as we study First Timothy, we're going to see what Paul is telling Timothy about the church and especially about the, the truth of the gospel. And so we want to join together in this. I hope you will pray about this, not just say, okay, there's another message. No. Please pray about this. Join together for the greatest cause in the world. There's nothing greater. There is nothing greater than this cause. Amen? There's nothing greater. I know my, you know, if I'm in high school, I'm thinking about my career, my college life, where I'm going, what do I got to do? Yes, those are important, but not compared to the greatest cause ever. Yeah, I know my job transfer is coming up or whatever. I, Yeah, important stuff, but not as great as the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's let it soak in. Asking God to use us. For His glory, and you can bring glory to His name. You can bring glory to God, and it just starts one by one. Got it? We're not not we're not calling. Hey, we got to win the whole town of Fallon, the whole Churchill County by next month. We're not going to do that. You know that's not that's not the point. The point is start one. Start with one. And you look at the multiplication that happens when each one of us prays, God, use us. Okay, That's the the master plan. That's what Jesus did. Twelve men, and they started multiplying because of Jesus, the risen one. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would um, continue to help us this day and this week. We are a a people full of knowledge and ideas. Lord, help us to be a people that are active, that we're exercising what we know is true. We're, We're applying what we know is true. Help us with that, Lord. It's so easy to fall back into the comfort zones. Lord, please help us. Motivate us, prompt us, convict us. And may you receive great glory here In little old Fallon, Lord, we need your help. So we ask that you would guide us. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.